0: All right, I am Mitch Maley back with another edition of the Bradenton Times podcast and a very, very special guest this week coming down to see us from Pinellas County, Mike Rivera. Mike is not only a Pinellas County teacher, but he is also a touring, headlining comic who rose to national prominence when he won the Views funniest teacher in america contest mike thanks for coming down appreciate it buddy it is so good to see you again Mitch. thank you for that incredible introduction and i've earned it <laughs> you know that's a neat thing because i think at first people look at it and say a teacher and a comedian wow that's kind of weird but if you think about it one you get you naturally have experience at the part that would terrify most people from doing stand-up comedy which is public speaking so you're public speaking all day long but then the other part of it is I imagine to be an effective teacher, you have to learn a lot about holding an audience and holding people's attention. So how much is, is it an advantage, in your
1: opinion, that it, from that it, when, it, when it comes to engagement? That, that's the key, with, I think, with education. I get the teacher, you know, if the teacher can engage them, if you can make them relaxed, if you can just do. And you're doing tricks throughout the whole uh like i always say uh, for, when i'm teaching my six classes i'm doing six headlining sets a day right and that's that's how you have to look at it and you have to understand uh, from the point of view of the child the student it's like well what what do they need what, how are they going to be engaged how can i work i mean uh, you know districts give you things they tools but that sometimes that, that's not enough it's like you, you have to have that batman utility belt and say okay where do i go here where do i go there so if Plan Plan A is not working. You go to Plan B, Plan C, and that's the best way. And 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 it's it's all about relationships, and that's what I think education is. That's
0: a good point because as a headlining comic, you're doing like an up to an hour set, and you're and you know I I do a little bit of stand up comedy aside, and you know I'm I'm usually doing five or ten minutes. And one of the things that you notice is that it's not just having enough material. But it's that, like, a lot of up-and-coming comics are just starting. It's the endurance. It's the ability, like, it's one thing to have five minutes of material and be able to engage an audience, but somebody, you know, so it's not as simple as just doing that 12 times of an hour. When you now are the only voice in front of that audience and the only perspective, the longer time you have, the much higher the threshold goes, right?
1: Absolutely, and that's, uh, it's tough for me to do five minutes. Yeah. Because I don't know, because usually I have chunks of you know, seven, eight minute uh, topics that I talk about. Are they, and, and, and so when you do the five minutes, you want to just do the hits or do you want to do whatever? So it's always like when I go up there, I go, Oh, what am I going to do? And, uh, but then, if you, but then you have your 45 minutes set, your 50 minute set, whatever. And it's like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. Now you tour all throughout the region. And it, when school's out, you go
0: further, uh what's it like trying to balance those two things the challenge
1: it it, it is uh but it's it's usually like well nowadays it, it's with the weekend gigs you know so you leave on friday do the a friday show is tough if you've been teaching all day and oh, okay, uh man. But, but with you know covid and stuff the the clubs are usually just one night saturday uh you know this week i'm down in fort, fort uh fort myers so that that'll, that'll be cool yes at the end nice. that'll be nice and uh so it's, 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 but I look forward to it. It's, uh, you know, you know, you enjoy it. I look for the, um, you know, the, it's why, why I think I, I, I've endured is because I, I write new stuff because it's that passion to do the new stuff, not the old stuff, the right. new stuff you get excited about.
0: Now, how do you do new material? Do you, do you like slip
1: it into a few minutes into a headlining set? Yeah. And, and then that's when I, when I do my, my not open mics or I'll do guest sets, you know, at the place on the beach and coconuts or stuff like that. You, you work it in that way. And, and then it's like, okay. And is, then sometimes you'll, you'll try it at a club and it doesn't go in right. the 45 minutes. Okay. Let me, I need to keep up, keep on working on that one. That's one thing that people, I don't, you
0: know, the magic of comedy, so to speak, is that you're giving the illusion that everything's off the top of your head, not a reverse, not a rehearsed act. And then it's really the only art form where you absolutely, positively need an audience in order to just practice. It's not like music. It's not like acting where you can run your lines. If you don't have the other side of the equation there, you really, you, after you have so much experience, I'm sure that you know when you've written a good joke, but you sometimes need to work it out and figure out the timing and the shifts and everything. Yes. You
1: have to have people to do that, right? And that is the toughest thing with comedy. Even though I, it's, it's amazing because I never used to watch comics. On Netflix and stuff like that, but during the pandemic, I'm like, well, let me see who we're talking about here. And I did notice, though, and here was something about. And I've been working on my performance aspect because you can always get better. You know, I never picked up the mic until like three or four years ago. I never used to do, uh, you know, more. You know, my theory when you come up on stage is like, okay, let's diffuse the situation. Make sure you're in. Make sure they know you're in the moment. You know, if if I go right to my material, so make a. Make a couple of jokes. What's happening now? Make a couple of jokes. What's happening in that club right now? Even though I have a line, you know, I have a whole list, a checklist, and stuff. If something catches your eye, so that you then oh, so then within the first, it only takes a minute. And that's the thing right. I tell comics: like, it only takes a minute, man, to warm up a crowd. And uh, but it benefits because if you just go straight, sometimes you know, it, it, if you're uh, if it's, if you go straight into the material, sometimes. They're like, well, he's doing his, you know, his, oh, this is his, oh, thanks for the drama. It's a routine, right? Yeah, right. it's a routine. No, no so you got to make that illusion, and that's how you make the illusion. Now, how did you start comedy? Which came first, teaching or comedy? Uh, comedy. I was always, uh, loved uh, the improv up in uh, the Bay Area, you know, uh, San Jose, San Francisco. Oh, is they, that where you're from? Uh, that's where I went to college, San okay. Jose State. And they had an incredible comedy community there. You know, the nice. Rob, the Robin Williams stuff was always the right. the, 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 the top thing, and so... I was always, I suffer from massive anxiety. I've, I've talked about this a lot of times with other interviews and stuff. And uh, I, I really do. It is the toughest thing in the world sometimes. I'm like crying before getting up there. Really? Yeah, so I've had to overcome that. So even as a teacher, that, that's a tough uh, not, not as a teacher, as a comic. No, 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 but I'm
0: saying that even as a teacher, you still feel the anxiety of going up to do.
1: some. Not as much because you, you, you can rely on that. But as as far as comedy, always nice. Always have the anxiety. anxiety. Nice
0: that you can overcome that is my point
1: because you yeah. never you never notice it. You uh, seem so relaxed and so comfortable but on stage. But but you can always get better. You know, one of the things that I I never used to do. It's always like because I said, man, you could destroy a room of ten, twelve people. I go because I can build the relationships like a classroom. Uh, See, yeah. There's a big difference between doing a, doing a small room like coconuts
0: yeah. and then doing a big room like side splitters. Yeah, or laughing in the middle because
1: you know. with a, sometimes a room of two hundred, I go. They're all staring at me. <laughs> but with a room of like 20, 30, 40, it's like I can break the pockets. I can. The key is making for me is making eye contact. If you can find the one person to make eye contact. With. Yeah. But I didn't get that till like two years ago.
0: And then you it's sort of weird. You go some places and there'll be a bright shining light. That's the only thing you can see. Yeah. And you might be able to see two sets and of eyes. And that's eyes why a lot front. of times
1: you'll see me doing like that. And you Because you have to, for me, that helps me relax more by making eye contact with people who are smiling. Because if not, I go, oh my God, they all hate me. Which is most... That's very common in comics, but that's how I'll tell other friends. It's like, this is how I've overcome it. I went online and said, how am I going to get over this anxiety? Because I I could always get up there and go pow, 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 pow. But it's like, well, how are we going to get better? Yeah. How do we engage more? And after all these years of doing comedy, that's I still work at it. So you're out in
0: California. You're doing some Bay Area open mics and stuff like that. Did you know right
1: away this is something you're into? Yeah, I, I loved it. I wanted to do it, but it's like, how are you going to do it? Uh-huh. So I started out with a, uh, there's like an improv group. So it's like, you know, safety in numbers. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's like, okay, let's do that. But you always wanted to do stand up, but I was just so afraid, so afraid. And so eventually, you know, after, you know, the improv group, I'm like, oh God, this is horrible. <laughs> like i'll tell you what
0: though i've noticed that any comic that comes from that realm uh-huh. comes with certain advantage one of them certain advantages one of them being they can think on their feet that's it,
1: it's uh los something los goes off, askew the crowd you know present you with something and and the way to do that is always think uh head to mouth head to mouth head to mouth mm-hmm. los bromfield great comedian uh, one of the funniest comics they always say oh, a funny female no 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 no. i got to see lots of comics and she was just freaking hysterical i just uh very big influence because she just i go how you do that and she's going head to mouth head to mouth you don't pause here and then when you say it and this is sometimes as you know if you want to do an improv line sometimes you don't say that line with that conviction yeah. So you you mumble it. She says, "No, no, 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 no." Head to mouth conviction. Head to mouth conviction. And then so no filter. And yeah, because but it's it's giving it with that positive positiveness that so so that audience remember it with an improv line. It doesn't have to be if you would read it. You go, that's not funny. But if the improv line, you know, in, with an audience, they're going, "Oh wow, he's it's in the moment," and they give you the benefit of the doubt. Right. So always remember when you're on stage and something happens, just. Hit them over the head with it. Lean into them. And body language is a big thing. In yeah, you know
0: what's funny? I noticed that. You know, you think, "Oh, I've lost the audience if you don't get a laugh right off the bat and everything like that." But then you see every once in a while somebody go through four horrendous minutes where nothing's going right. But if they deliver a funny joke the right way, that audience will come right back.
1: It's and that is the mist that that's live theater. You know, you live and die by it and. You know, last night I'm doing a set and things are going good. I do one joke. It just lays there. And I'm like, what, what? This has worked a million times. And uh, you don't know what you don't know what the audience is about. And that's why you always, you have to earn it. Were you at Snappers last night? I was, I I went to Coconuts for a quick set and you have to earn it. And that's the big thing. Earn it. They don't care who you are. They didn't see you before. They even though you've done it a million times, it's the first time they've seen you. So that's why earn it and uh get more you know one of the things is 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 likability and just watching things so these are things that that you can always get better at you know and and write things and 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 that's what I try to do as a comedian now and uh so when people go the best the best thing is when they see me they go wow you changed a lot of your material or or if someone says well you've been doing comedy so long and I go uh 80 percent or ninety percent of what you just saw, I've written the past two years. Right. So it's like get away from it.
0: <laughs> so you're out in the Bay Area. You're doing some improv. Do you remember the first time you did a stand up open mic?
1: Uh, yeah. It was at a, I think there was like four people there, but I had my friends there, and I was nervous. I vomited like a lot, a lot of comics would vomit back then. Was it a comedy club? It, no. It was, but it, there was only like a few open mics back then. the, the comedy clubs supported you know, showcases, and here's, here's, you want to talk about it, we was just talking with a friend from California who started out with, back then, here's the deal, because uh, now there's open mics everywhere, you know, nothing, nothing makes me, you know, I feel like I'm the old comic here, but nothing <laughs> makes me laugh more when I see someone's schedule, and it's like, I'm at this open mic, <laughs> I'm like, really, you know, because the, the point is this, um, if no one tells you you suck, you're not going to improve, Right, and when I started, they had some major clubs: the Punchline, Last Laugh, Tommy T's, You know these clubs, uh, and they, you know, and if you didn't do well, guess what? You didn't come back. You're not back for a month. Yeah. So it's like get better. Here, you go to open mic. There's no one to say you suck. Right. You know. And by the way, people do say you suck. And by the way, yes, I did suck, and sometimes I do suck. You know, and that's one thing comics are not realizing. You got to get better. But there's no one out there like the punchline. That was the biggest thing when I was again on a Sunday night. Who's going to get? Who's on the list? Who's on the list? Mm-hmm. Who's going to get on? Who's going to get on? And that's a major club because you want to work there. The deals. Right. The deals. Yeah, people forget. I think the, the deal is becoming a working comic. Yeah. You know, I, I think sometimes now uh, stand up is like the new karaoke. So you can,
0: <laughs> I've called that before. Of <laughs> course it is with, because, with a lot of people. That's yeah. what they're approaching it. And, as, and yeah.
1: that, because the thing is, they go, "Well, I'm a comic." I go, "Real, yeah, but you know, there's." Really? Are you a professional? Do you, do you get paid for it? Uh, can you do, how much time can you do? You know, uh, And that that's because in my day when you started, you had to, quote, pay your dues. Right. You know, the, the stage time you got was at 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes. You know, uh, you couldn't go, uh, maybe you could go, you know, within the whole Bay Area. They had the major clubs. So for a, a comic, you hung out at the Holy City Zoo. You know, that was like a, an incredible place to do. Um, and then a couple other places during the week. And then hopefully you got the MC gigs and you had to learn how to MC. You had to learn how to MC.
0: Which is an art that, and it's funny because like when you look, like the British system, the host is like the star. It's his show and he comes out and he you know, wins the crowd and he has his good set and then he has his jokes in between. And then in America, it's so different where we put the least experienced comic as the host, which is... Seems kind of backward. It,
1: it, it does, but then the show, but then the, the theory there is that the show is supposed to build. You right. Know, let's build the show. It's like, oh, it, 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 let's, it, here for the guy before me, that sucked, everybody. So I, like,
0: I've noticed when I was in
1: Boston years ago that often you'll see like the British style. Where well, be, B- Boston's a unique breed on its yeah. own. Yeah, or they'll do that shotgun style where yeah, they just well, introduce each other. Sometimes, you know, back in the day you hear about, oh, this is on the bill tonight. It's like a who's who right, of, right. of high energy, loud Comics, and then when someone from LA or someone would come, they would just you know, and and the Boston comics. I was talking to someone, can't name them, but they just they would love it. Yeah, they would yeah. love it. It's like, oh, you're gonna follow Burr, you're gonna follow this guy, right. you're gonna follow so and so. They're like, oh. And you had these guys like Lenny Clark and stuff that yeah. were yes. decade
0: veterans, yes. and would just stay in Boston, yes. and the headline all the clubs all the time with the same act, and people would still you yeah. know pack the venue. And
1: back in the in the San Francisco Bay area, they must have had you could work basically the whole year. In, in the Bay Area. they have nice. all, And it was amazing. And they had full-time comedy clubs, you know, back in the day, you know. So you graduate out there. Uh, well, first of all, where did you grow up? I grew up in Fishgill, New York. Hudson oh, wow. Went all the way out to the Bay Area for college. Then no, came down to St. Pete Junior College because oh, I had okay. no idea what I was going to do. And my dad's like, going, well, you better go to college. <laughs> and uh, then after that, I sort of had a good idea. And then, I see a
0: theme that you kind of like palm trees, though, right? Yes.
1: And then I moved out from one Bay Area to the other Bay Area. I love the water and and that was the thing and, and and it was also being far away it's uh-huh. like let's see how you know i, I remember my my high school friends were, were like going oh you'll be back you'll be back and i came back maybe 10 years later you know and it's like i'll go 1200 miles away well i was actually looking to go to hawaii it's, it's sort of like the only way you can grow sometimes is sometimes to leave yeah you know? then you can come back so you go uh you finish college what comes next uh, then I knew I wanted to get into comedy somehow. I mean the, what, the benefit for me at college they had uh, the last laugh uh, comedy club, so I, in my like senior year last, I started going there on Sundays, you know you get in free or whatever the pass and or it was really cheap back then and then but then you see the comics and then and always the Sunday night show wasn 't really packed, so you could then I would talk to some of them, and then they 're like wow, they really, they 're very nice to me and uh, so it 's like, okay this, this is how you do it and things like that. I always loved doing voices, love cartoons, stuff like that. Love the, to you know the to think quick on stage. That was the goal, but back then it was always like, but people would always you have to hone your act first. You know I always like to change it up every okay one week I do one five minutes. Oh, I'm gonna do another five minutes. No, 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 no. In the beginning, and that's that's my mistake. You work on that that tight five, then you develop another five, and then you go on and on and and you chunk it, you know, and that's the best way to do it. So having the last laugh there. Uh, and after doing open mics, my goal was to, then I became the house MC there. Oh, nice. Yes, and that's, uh, and you get to meet, you know, really. All the people coming through town, know, First, yeah. One of the first people was uh, Bob Sag. What, what a nice ah, guy.
0: I saw him perform at the, I saw him walk in and drop in at the comedy store uh, to do his 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, he did 45. Yeah. Uh, bumped everybody on the list and thoroughly enjoyed doing it and then was so on fire that when he was done, The room just cleared. And I had to watch the next comic go up and just watch everybody walk out. The
1: air was, there was not an ounce of oxygen left. But it was really cool because he was, you know, very generous. And uh, lots of them were generous. I'll I'll say this, uh, Coulier from the show. Yeah. He he would always, he, man, his stand-up before Full House, I always, he was really, really, really that good. He was that like good. I saw him,
0: I, I believe, once or twice on uh, Evening in the Improv or something, but not much.
1: But he wanted to be getting
0: into the acting game oh, and okay. stuff like that. Oh, you know, see, that's a, that's a oh, weird yeah. thing too, because back then, stand up for
1: a lot of people was just a bridge toward trying to get a television sitcom where all the money was. And and that's I remember when I was seeing you know Robin Williams they said why don't you why don't you do stand up in, in in the audience and he was goofing and he goes. Well, I can make 15 million in a movie or work for this. <laughs> but now you look at it and you have comics
0: that are making as much as 30, 40 million dollars a year, which back then would have seemed absolutely absurd. There are, are there's a handful at least of comics
1: that make significantly more than an
0: A-list actor, which yes. is
1: amazing. And, and, and because of Netflix, because of uh, YouTube, you know, mm-hmm. you you put, uh, you know. Being on TV is not what it is anymore. It's, right. uh, you know, oh, you've been on network TV, you wrote a book. Is that, no, no, no. When, if they put YouTube sensation by you, guess what? You're going to pack the place and that's what people yeah. want. It's that niche comedy, where do you fit in? And that's, because uh, I know many people from back in my day who would have, my, my God, if, if we had the internet and stuff back then, mm-hmm. back in, they would have been household names. But yeah, Coulier, I remember, man, he was just, I mean, that good that good so you get up to the uh host level out there yeah and then you move back no then, then i then then what happens is then you start getting uh you know back then here's the thing how,
0: how long did you stay out
1: in, i stayed out I there for hmm, well that it took me like then maybe like three three or four years then to start going out on the road because remember so you so after college you started going out on the road out there but i had a job but i was learning the craft you know and after three or four years then they started like you know back then get this they would actually back in the day they would actually fly an opener out
0: no kidding yeah wow now the openers expected to travel wherever he and and pick up that yeah back then they would (laughs) sleep sleep in his car fly
1: them all out they give you the comedy condo they give you a car right unbelievable and uh but because of that because when you get in you know when you get in one club circuit that has like maybe five clubs well guess what that's They'll vouch for you. Then you got in another one, and and it wasn't about finding the one nighters. It's like okay, back then, you know the the like the funny business agency in, in the Midwest, they had like fourteen weeks of work. Uh, you had, you know the the comedy zone agency, they had fourteen weeks of work. Okay, boom, you just got half your year booked. Then you have then I would work on the West Coast and stuff like that. Boom, there you go. Then you pick up the one nighters here, there, there. I was always booked a year in advance, my whole schedule. Nice back when I did comedy. So I at know, what point time. do you come back to Florida? Uh, like twenty five, okay. Uh, because it got married and mm-hmm. then I said, well, I can't do this. <laughs> but it was, but 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 always continued doing this, you know, as a secondary job. And then you'd have the summers to go do shows and stuff like that, which I've I've continued to, you know, and. And and then, then got on the TV thing and then that opened up a whole new wave right. of teacher comedy and things like that. Which is now teacher comedy's blowing up. Every teacher's a stand-up. Everyone in general's a stand-up. No, oh, right. yeah, but it's like they, they do their shows and this I'm like, well, I'm the OG, you know. <laughs> when they had the original if they ever had the original uh, uh kings of no teacher, kings com- of teacher yeah, comedy and, you'd be on the on the cover. It'd, it'd be me, Bernie Mac, Steve Harvey. And, <laughs> so yeah, so that so that that and that and then I was pressured then to come up with you know, I had like uh, four minutes on teaching and I'm like, oh, better come up with some new material. So now I can do like 45 minutes on teaching.
0: Yeah. Do you, yeah. Now, do you do a lot of like uh, teacher specific comedy, like at I, conferences and events and stuff? I,
1: not since COVID because, you know, teachers, everything right, was shut down. Right. But what was weird before this, that last summer, I was, I was doing, I'm in Washington, D.C. at the American Federation of Teachers Conference. I mean, duh, you know, that's, whoa, everything now, let's, let's go. But the big thing with, with, for me with teacher company, you know, you Devin Siebel does incredible with his videos and things like that. Devin, that's the way I thought being on TV, well, that's, the, you know, and, and that stuff, and, 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 and the, it's the social media aspect of getting, you know, your teachers marketing and things like that. That gets you. That's, but I was still getting, you know, things, and, and, but you know, playing high school, you know, to, to, to other teachers. And what do you teach now? I teach world history, eighth well, grade. Eighth
0: grade world history. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you a two-part question. What is, in your opinion, the biggest challenge facing public education in Florida right now? And then what is the thing that you would like to to see implemented that you think could be most helpful in improving public education in Florida?
1: The biggest problem, I believe, is not thinking what is going to, instead of saying, what is going to make the student really succeed? What is going to make them really succeed? I mean, you can ask me. I can look at these kids. You know, that have gone through the system, you know, with their 504s, their IEPs, and I'm gonna go, what do they really need? I go, that kid needs a class, a small class size. He needs uh, where you're doing, uh, you know, work, but you're also working on counseling and stuff like that, almost like a 50 50 thing, where you chunk it up so that he doesn't get bored or she doesn't get bored, and that you, so you understand, and, and so that you're working on the whole child development. You gotta think of the whole child, not just this, not, okay. Uh, not, not, you, 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 they're trying to put every little uh, you know the square pegs in the round circle and you can't do that
0: That one size approach and there's one. going to be a lot of kids that slip through the cracks and because they they're just always know
1: no, that. and that's what keeps going on they, they don't realize and the only way you're going to do that I mean make your counselors counselors not testing coordinators and and it's just and, and that's the problem you know I have kids now they need they need what was weird with this year with with the COVID thing because i I went back, um, you know, in the beginning, it was really less class size. But so some of those behavior problem kids, well, guess what? Because the small class size, you can give them more time. You can give them more time. And that's what they need. But if you have a class of 25, 30, and you have maybe four or five kids that need that attention, you got to be kidding me. You know, you're juggling too much. But with the smaller classes, you can, so then you build that relationship. You know, are we perfect? No. Do I have some kids... You try to reach, but then, but could I tell you what would benefit them? Absolutely. Do they do it? No. Mm. And that's sad. So how do we balance
0: the, when it comes to the testing, you've got, you know, you've got the issue where, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, we had the Iowa test that we'd take in our schools and it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm. And it was just, it was a good you know, sort of uh, watermark where you can kind of get a snapshot of where a student is. You know, they talk to you afterwards at parents-teacher conferences about, you know, hey, Johnny's a little behind on this part, but he's really doing good here. This is what I'd recommend you watch and that sort of thing. Um, and then somewhere along the way, we've gotten to this point where they became this super high stakes, you know, everything from the funding the school gets to the teacher's possibilities for promotions and so forth.
1: Follow the money. Right. Follow the money, Luke. So you have this
0: thing where... All right, I, I guess there is a legitimate concern that if you say, "Well, if you just allow it to occur in a vacuum," then there's sort of this incentive where everybody wants everybody to graduate and say, "Hey, our district is the best." Everybody look, at our, all the A's. look yes, at our numbers. Look at our numbers. Look at our numbers. So then somebody says, "Well, hey, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna try to create a level playing field so that somebody's not doing a bunch of grade inflation and pushing kids through. Uh, we're gonna try to." T- Test everybody's skills in a, in a sort of similar way and then make sure we have this baseline. That seems to make sense, but where do you cut that balance off?
1: It's, but it's the, but the thing is, here's the point. Uh, one thing, teachers don't know what's on the test. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> give me a break. Okay, they can't even look at the test. So it's like, what are we, where, you know, you're guessing. And that should not, you know, Right. Uh, I, I, what you said before, when we were growing up, that those Iowa tests, those things like that, we know, we know what's wrong. I can evaluate this, kid. But again, it's all, we got teach, you know, you got to teach the test, but what, t- what test are we getting? Because that's how you're graded as a teacher. You know, how, they, how are your test scores? How are your test scores? How are your test scores? Yeah. Not how is your, what do you think, not instead of saying, Mr. how are your test scores? It's, Mr. how can we help that kid? What, do you th- what would you suggest? Mm-hmm. You know, this is going to help him. It's that simple. Ask a teacher. We know. What,
0: what are you going to do when you have a kid who just doesn't test well? I mean, there has to also be a, a,
1: some way to value the, the kid that's somehow
0: fair to him, right?
1: And, and that's where the, the accommodations do. How many times have I, I can, I can actually, you know, uh, what, my thing is always do chunking, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, because it's ADD and because I'm part of that. So that's that what you do. But when a kid can verbalize it to you. But then doesn't do it on paper. Ding, ding, ding. Hello, read it to him. Mm. You can. I can give a kid. And now it's on a computer or paper. He fails. I read it to him. He passes. You know, that's one area where you can go. But do I have the time to do that? Right. That's the thing. We have. You have to make the time to save the kid. You because know, if not, that he's going to get. Then he gets labeled. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, uh, you know, whatever. By by his classmates, by society, he labeled, Well, he can't take a test. Well, he's a failure. No, he's not. You know. Get, how are we going to help him? And it's not that difficult. Again, ask the teacher, but we don't have that power anymore.
0: And you're also, it seems to be one of the inherent you know, negatives to this, which I'm sure is unintended, but you have, you have a scenario where you're essentially saying to your best teachers, look, there's not only not an incentive for you to go where you're needed most, you better not. Because if you go into that challenged population because you think it's where you can make the biggest difference, well, there's a whole bunch of factors like what's going on at home, uh, what kind of support that kid's getting. And if you're not able to turn it around and show it in these standardized tests, then your career's not going anywhere.
1: And, well, it's, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> Regardless, right? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you're trying to – that's how you're, you're judged, and they don't see – how, you, you know, you work the classroom, you, they, you don't see. And, and again, with, with, with some of the, you, you know, it's, it's micromanaging. That's, mm-hmm. that's the problem with teaching today, the micromanaging and telling you how to, no, I, you know, it's like sometimes it's like when I, when I see the curriculum going, yeah, I understand the basics, but I, I have to go online and go, let me see how to make it so my kids then like it. Right. That right. my kids go, oh, this, I get it now. You know, let's make this more interesting. It's, you know, like, but here are the things, here are the, here are the resources. No, those aren't resources.
0: What about the Florida structure? Because one of the things that puzzles me is I imagine when you grew up in New York, it was the same as Pennsylvania where you have uh, a district is one high school and all of its feeder schools. Yeah. And you have a small board, small superintendent. This Florida system. So when I first came here, it was, oh, no, this is great because you have to understand all of these replicated resources from ESC to transportation to the cafeterias. You're just doing that as one high school district. You're replicating all these things that we could do under one umbrella. And that way we can make sure the resources are are better allocated. And then the other upsell that I did kind of, you know, was appealing was, well, hey, you know, back home, if you lived in this district for the high school down the the road, then the tax base for that was awful, and it was a bad high school because it was under-resourced, but over in this area, the schools are good, so the home properties are up and and so forth, and they said, well, you know, here it's different because over in Central Bradenton where we're at now, they're drawing from the same tax base as Lakewood Ranch in the island, Um, so the resources are up, and you should be able to do better administrative support, but what I saw was you end up with this giant monolithic bureaucracy
1: And that's why you know it's amazing when, uh, like school board races, which I always look into when mm. when uh, and they're supposed to be nonpartisan. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but then they'll say, you know, with this one point six billion dollar budget, we recommend this candidate. You know, if it's one point six, I don't I don't call that a community. Yeah. You know, then it's a corporation. You know, when you when you look at your admin buildings and they're, you know, when the nickname's the Taj Mahal, I think that says it all. Right. Uh, you, you need that 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 community feel so that the community says, OK, this is our you know. And, and in a sense, you don't have that with a big county. You know, look at Hillsborough, look at Pinellas, you know, things how big and diverse Pinellas County is. So you, you there's no you know, it's like, oh, we have oh, seven districts here, you know, in District 12 in the Hunger Games, whatever. It's not it doesn't work. Yeah. I, well, I don't I'm, – I'm, 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 I think – here's my point. I think it would work better if they were smaller.
0: And is that where a lot of the overmanagement from the curriculum comes from? Because you then, now you have all these people with these big titles and these big salaries that have to justify why am I the director of this and why do we have to do this training session to teach you?
1: Yeah, and, and, teach and it's yourself. amazing. And look at the low scores and then look at just socioeconomic. And there, there's the – you know, that yeah. socioeconomic. You know, value. I always
0: tell people, I'm, I'm in Kiwanis and we have this Every Child a Reader program that I'm very involved with. And one of the things that I'll do is I'll go out and I'll, you know, on Every Child a Reader Week, I'll go into as many schools as, as we've got left. And I'll uh, read to the, this is a BPK program. So read to these pre-kindergarten kids, talk about the importance of reading. And it's stunning because I remember the first year I actually, by accident, one of the schools was the wealthiest zip code in the district and one of them was the poorest so i go into the wealthiest one out in lakewood ranch and i say hey how many uh kids know how to read at four years old every hand goes up how many has somebody read to him every day or pretty much every day every hand goes up so i go into a now defunct uh elementary school right down the street from here which was in the poorest zip code and how many kids know how to read zero how many kids have somebody read to them every night one's like "My uncle read me a book once
1: yeah Uh, but how i mean you don't overcome that if that's your start at four but it goes again if if you got both parents working or if it's a one parent family you know you know it's amazing and you go back to the bigger issue um you know when i was a kid uh all this all the families had houses but get the get this in our neighborhood the guy was a bus driver had a bigger house than than you know what i mean Mm uh the guy was a maintenance guy from ibm had a house well the doctor had a house but we were all together you could afford these things now and that that goes to the better socioeconomic yeah you know if either, these people are probably working more than 40 hours a week oh yeah and a lot
0: of them, the parents English isn't even their first language absolutely how, how, what kind of barrier is that when you're doing third grade homework
1: you can't and uh you know my favorite thing is when they had the the kids uh came from after the the hurricane in Puerto Rico and then for testing they go you can't help them but just Throw this basically throw a, a dictionary at them and I'm going oh that's that just uh, yeah gonna, that's that's the magic pill that's there. gonna yeah. work right no nah, of course not you know that but it it's it's a lot socioeconomic and, and that's that's a thing because when we were kids again look who was in your neighborhood you know they could afford those things and now no that's uh, we should look at that more closely but I doubt it <laughs>
0: what are some of the things uh, that you see that you're excited about in education right now? Is there, is, there, is there good news? Is there stuff that you could, some positive spin you could tell us about? Retirement's
1: coming for me. It's, uh, <laughs> How it's far a, away from a, it? Uh, who knows? When my, my kids get out of college. Okay. You know, and, and, what are we looking positive? Well, it's, and that's, that's a sad part I, uh, about education. You know, I wish, you know, you, ha- you, could, you can wish for things, but it's like when I, I had a friend that worked 38 years in education and retired, and they did an article on him like 30-something years ago and the same concerns he had then we still have today and that's that, that that's as a, a bunch you know as i see um, you know florida going it's almost like how they 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 were doing it in louisiana you know it's the haves and the haves not the parish schools and things like that and it's it's here's the thing if my son you know graduates and starts teaching i'll be making 4000 more than him wow there you go compression that happens yeah
0: <laughs> well the, and that was something i wrote about actually because we actually again, significantly increased the starting pay in Manatee County for teachers. But we'd also done that from deputies a few years ago. And the predictable problem was you end up with this pay compression where after just a few years, somebody with almost no experience is right behind a person who's been doing it 20 years yes. and, and has much more.
1: And that's ridiculous. Yeah. you know, that's the, the, What's the value on the teacher? The starting pay, great. But you see, the average lifespan now of a teacher—I don't know if you looked at—was it five years now? Is most? that what it is? Yeah, four okay. or five years. Wow. So you're so the teachers who are dedicated, and they, you know, it, it takes—you're always learning as a teacher. But a good eight years, you yeah. know, to to learn how to how to work a classroom, classroom, you know, in which we always still are, mm-hmm. you know, cause there's always things being thrown in, in there. But that's uh, you're, its 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 uh, Then it'll go to private schools, and you, you'll you'll have to pay them.
0: Yeah and and you know I I took a lot of heat because my uh my son went to high school to private school and you know a lot of people took it as oh you're supposed to is champion of public education and it's like yeah and I lost and and it was not incumbent upon me to sentence my son yes to, and his future to something that wasn't going very well and to say hey you won this scholarship to an elite private school right down the street from our house but uh, I'm going to make you stay in the, the failing public school because I'm, you know, somehow not being a good whatever, if uh, a good critic of society, if I don't sacrifice my kid at that altar. But the truth is, you know, I look and I see I see district charters doing a good job. I just I have a series I'm in the midst of at the Brandon Times right now about mm-hmm. one that was just obliterated in our district despite all the the that, you know, turnaround it was causing. Um, And I look at that, like, and this is a complicated issue because a lot of people when they hear charters, they think of the private for-profit charters that have done some very scurrilous things in education and have rightfully been, you know, sort of kept at bay. Um, But then you have this district charter model where a lot of communities are saying, look, we don't see the value of that big Taj Mahal downtown. And the Manatee uh, administration building, by the way, is gold, literally gold. And the entire thing is glass with gold tint on it. So like, it's not only a metaphor; it's there. Yeah. And uh, they say, "Hey, we don't see the benefit of it." We this school in particular was like, "Hey, we uh, we had a three or two point nine million dollar budget. Now all of a sudden, we convert and our budget's three point six million. That's a lot of money that was getting swallowed up in all this help we were supposedly getting. And we think we can do a better job if we could design a curriculum for our kids and our population." and empower our teachers to take that kind of approach. Do you see public that, education? That, 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 in, that, that,
1: you're, just, you're, you're saying community schools. That's what you're saying. Right, Thank right. Thank you. And that's what we talked about. Okay. Yeah. So, so I, that, do, you,
0: do you do you see public education as we know it, the model being a dinosaur right now?
1: It, in Florida?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The county
1: <laughs> model? Yeah, that it's not working. It's not, you got, look at Pinellas County, you know, you, you have a, you know the countryside area, the Palm Harbor area, but then you have you know South St Pete and things like that mm-hmm. you know you have Pinellas Park in areas then but then you have by Indian rocks then you have uh you, you know just look at the school scores and that says it all you know but but again, community schools that would you know my my kids went to uh, they went to Catholic school mm-hmm. for uh k through five and then they came to uh middle school but what did but here's the thing the the uh the skills they learned with the nuns and stuff. Yeah, that, that came in, in handy. And that's one of the things that people should look at, you know, dare I say that as a public school teacher. What are they doing right with the kid you know, that make, that's making them successful? And see, you, know, you, you, you can't just close your eyes to everything when it comes to a kid. Not, you know what I mean? You have to say your profession. No, what's, what's working for the kid, not the profession? Cause if, some, if something from a, a private school is working, well, let's, can we do it here? As long as you include everybody. Yeah, and that's where the you got to include everybody. You have to have a plan for everyone, because they are leaving child behind.
0: <laughs> you know, and then we've had these issues where we've seen schools that were in prosperous areas developing these um, nonprofit funds, where they would have parents do- and businesses donating to the nonprofit that supports a public school, and then you look and you say, "Wait a minute, isn't that kind of..." a public subsidy to a private school cuz you're you're taking an already, you know, uh advantaged population and you're saying, well we're going to give you the public money and then if you have a whole bunch of other money you can put on top of that, then it's kind of like a cheaper private school with all those resources. Absolutely. And and where is the, you know, where's the thirst then to say,
1: well how about we help this other school over here <laughs> that doesn't have that? Because the parents aren't aren't, you know, the parents are working two jobs. Or they're single parents, and they yeah. don't they don't they don't speak loud, mm-hmm. you know. There's no, who's speaking for them, and
0: the community doesn't see the investment of saying, "Hey, that's great if you want your kid's school to be good and you could get maybe get a better education." However, the community suffers because the people who are going to be, if you own a business, the people you're going to be drawing from as employees. If you're retired and you don't have any kids, well, guess what? All of those home health aides and the people at the hospital and the people and all the services that you need are being educated in that system. So. I don't buy the argument ever that nobody has a dog in this fight. We all have a dog in the fight of whether whether we have
1: an educated population or not. It, it, it depends if they want them educated, but that's the bigger issue.
0: <laughs> that does. You know, that was something I talked about years yeah, ago. With, it, yeah. Well, when they started doing those, uh, Florida came up with that high school certificate where it was this convenient way where, well, you're not going to really be a dropout uh, because that would hurt our numbers. But instead, you're going to have this thing that's not really a high school diploma either, but you'll you'll get out there and find out that you'll be in a warehouse somewhere. And some cynics will look at that kind of tactic and say, well, maybe that's kind of the plan is that if the workforce is shrinking because we're continuing to offshore so many jobs and then even more of them right now are being eaten away by automation, then we're not going to necessarily want to have a highly educated uh, population of Idle people who might look around and say, "Hey, this system's kind of messed up and not equitable," and we might know how to organize and do something about it. So instead, if we just have a lot of strong back and underdeveloped brains, they might think that, "Hey, that where Amazon warehouse job is really all I'm cut out
1: for." Yeah, we we need those schools for our tech jobs. We need those schools, which are good. You know, we need more carpenters. We we need more worker bees. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one of the best things uh, I ever saw, one of the, oh, eye-opening one. Uh, a politician and uh, when there are people there and he's talking and then he sees a kid, and he looks at a kid and he goes, Oh look, a construction worker. Mm-hmm. And they all cheered. But does he say that with his kids? Right. Right. You know, why didn't, why don't you see, look at that kid and go, look a doctor, look a lawyer. And that, think about that. Yeah. Well, I, I think,
0: so the cynic part of me on the other side, and this is with the other kind of charters that, that I'm suspect of is I think there's almost a, effort of some people to look at it and say well if that's what the future looks like then maybe it behooves us to return education to be a privilege of the elite at least a good education
1: you're you're sounding more like plato and the philosopher kings right now (laughs) uh it's they need here's the thing and by the way there's nothing wrong with being a construction worker but my point is this teach that construction worker to own the company right and that's that's my point you know, we want them to succeed above to have, so they can sit at the table. Well, one thing I would say, you're a history teacher,
0: and if I recall everything I know about history, I don't remember one ancient empire or civilization where the historians looked back and said, you know what? You know what was the real problem with those people? They were just too damned educated and smart.
1: And that, that, again, what... I've been in my ancient Greece kick, and that's 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 where you know, and my, my I'm in my Socrates, and I apologize. It's the only time we're ever talking this. We're in my Socrates and Plato kick. You know, Plato didn't trust democracy. Why? Because guess what? They killed so- 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 Socrates. Socrates. Why? Yeah. Because they were able to have with their ostra, the, the ashtra, you know whatever they vote. They all got to vote because if you're a citizen, big thing between a citizen and a person back then, and and even today, you know, citizen. You, you, Use that word very properly, because back then the citizens, when they voted for, for to, to, uh, Socrates to death, and but they were misinformed. Mm-hmm. But that's true. But that's a true democracy. So Plato's gone eh, that might be a bit dangerous having right. these people. And so he said, "Let's have the wise people." But then, are you really are you really going to find a wise person? Mm-hmm. And who was the one that said? Um, uh, all po- something about while politics is animal or something like that. There's always a motivation. Whether that was Aristotle or something like that, I can't believe we're talking about this. But that's that. That's the point. There's always what is the perfect way? Well, the perfect way is give is opportunity. Opportunity to, is there for you if you want it. You know, look at uh, you know Cindy. She I love the fact that she she graduated. You know, she got her two year degree, but got, got her BSN. You know, 30 years later, Go mm-hmm. for her. And she's and I ho- and she might even go farther now. Why? Because she can do it but she has the opportunity, you know, don't shut the doors to that construction worker, to that plumber, to that stone. Those are great, incredible jobs, which make twice, or three times as much as me, but let's make them, you know, let them sit at the table too. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's a societal
0: issue. I've mm, written about right? that in the past. We don't, uh, we do have, you know, I'll admit like I never thought, oh, I want my kid to grow up and be a millionaire, you know, owning a plumbing empire. Uh, However, you know, that was one thing. I remember one time him saying, a friend of mine who was an attorney, uh, and I had to meet him for something on the way, dropping off to work, and he said, oh, he's a lawyer. He's probably rich. And he showed up, and he had a nice car and a suit on. And I laughed, and I said, no. I said, uh, in fact, he's got about $900 a month in in student loans. And uh, I said, listen, this is an important lesson. I said, there's a lot of lawyers over there. I said, but the average lawyer in the county makes about $40,000 a year. That's it. I said, there's some real rich ones, especially the ones with those... uh, you know, accident call here type signs. But the reality is most of them can be bought and sold eight times before the sun comes up by somebody who owns an electric company. Yeah. Somebody who owns a heating and AC, yeah. somebody who owns an auto body shop. Yes. And there's, there's a lot of millionaires in town that learned a trade and then ran a business of yes. that trade. And there's some of the, in Manatee County where development is, is gold. There's some of the wealthiest people that I've come across. And that that's, that's an unfortunate, because another thing I see, and I'm sure you see it with, with students that move on, is there's a growing sort of trend where I see colleges farming these kids. And what I mean by that is you take a kid who you really should be able to look at and say, you're not a real great candidate for traditional college. You do, There's nothing that's evidenced by... Your academic performance through high school, and the fact that a community college is telling you you have to take remedial non-credit classes your first to your first year, and we know statistically that you're, you're now half as likely to graduate on time, and and only uh, three fourths as likely to graduate. Period. Um, you might be better directed towards a technical school, and we might need to educate you better that hey, there's some 12 month certificates that you'll be earning more in your first year out of than than the average four year uh, college graduate. We don't do that very well.
1: Yeah, and uh, are you familiar with the AVID program? No. Okay, that's where they they take supposedly, you know, take that level two or three person, but we're going to prep them for college. Mm. You know, even though this is done through the schools. Or? It, it's a, it's a big. I think I call it more like a big pyramid scheme or okay. something like that because again that'd be good to look up to because then they're mm-hmm. saying okay well and kids that need that extra stuff you know where the whole goal is college 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 and I'm thinking well what happens when they get to college and right. it's not going to work and but again that's that's where that's a, that's a, look into the avid because I always have that that problem going maybe they don't want to go to college right you know and And maybe they're not a good fit yeah and and again because look at you know and when uh, the whole college thing can even looked at how much it is now and who can afford it and and and, oh it's absurd it is it's absurd again and and look at the what 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 we used to pay for houses what we used to pay for college what we used to pay for cars and look at it now there
0: are schools that were in in the base model sticker price My, my son obviously is a senior and and you know, we're going through that process. And I was shocked because I remember there being schools a few years ago and being shocked that were $50,000 a year out the door for room, board, and tuition. And now there are quite a few that are just under $100,000 yeah. a year. I mean, come on, man. 87 dollars $90,000 a year.
1: And, and you're taking your classes online. <laughs> yes.
0: And, it, and it, no discount for that.
1: Yeah. And no, that's, that's a, there needs to be some type of education overhaul with that and, and accountability, you know, and then that's, and by the way, that that's not a left talking point. Sometimes that's a right talking point. You know, what, what are degrees are you getting out there? You know, that was brought up uh, with the bright futures. Mm. Mm, That's a touchy situation because, you know, I have to say, no, let the kid decide, let the kid decide. Don't tell me, but you know,
0: here's a, here's a part that I see as being a flaw in the system there. And this comes down to that federal aid and student loan question. Uh, I was very excited to see last week Senator Sanders offer another bill to make junior colleges tuition free Um, and saying, hey, listen, we became the strongest economy in the world when we said a free good quality public education is going to be bestowed upon every pe- person. And then we're going to have an educated, competent workforce. Uh, we're going to be a leverage to build our economy. And today you make the very sound argument that, well, yeah, two years in trade school or junior college is the equivalent of what a high school education was, let's say 30, 40 years ago, even in terms of what what job you can get and how, how proficient you are economically. But when you look and you say, we're going to guarantee it, we're going to then uh, make sure through some really, really poor legislation that they're about the hardest things in the world to try to discharge through a bankruptcy, that medical bills, which coincidentally have been the only thing that have outpaced general inflation by about 300%. No no, no coincidence there. Yeah. And then you're going to say, because we know we're getting that money and we don't care if we're deducting it from a Social Security check, we don't underwrite that loan. And what I mean by that is you go to buy a house when you're 30. They want to crawl up your butt with a flashlight and say, all right, what's your job? What's your take home? What's your car payment? What's it? And don't go and buy anything for the next 60 days because if you change any of this, the loan might be off. We want to know that you're going to be able to pay this hard asset that we could even you know uh, uh, recover from you. We still want to know that you're going to be able to pay it back. You go and sign up for college. Nobody says, hey, listen, man, you were a C student And you're taking a really hard major that doesn't pay very much when you get out, and you wanna go to a private school to do it, this looks like a bad bet. They say, no, go ahead, sign up. (laughs) You wanna spend $250,000. To, to be a teacher, for example, if somebody comes to you and says, I come from a poor family, I want to go to this private school, I want to take out all these loans, and I'm going to work in education, you'd say, well, you know, let's just do some quick math on that. Maybe this state school is a better option for you. Live at home and go to the junior. Nobody does. There's no underwriting. And that's not a 30-year-old professional. That's a 17-year-old kid
1: whose brain's not done growing yet. No, I, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm, I, we're on the same page on that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's 250 grand. Here's 300 grand. Uh, here... Let's 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 invest that money, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then and they go to junior college and then, or whatever. And maybe
0: what would you think of like if we started looking at some ways where it became more of an option? Because like you see students take a gap year, but usually it's somebody that comes from privilege, um, and it's not always looked at really uh, positively by colleges when, when when you don't you know go out of high school. So. Do we maybe, because I look at it and I say, the idea that you're even asking a 17-year-old kid, what do you want to do for the rest
1: of your life? And, and, that's, and that's where I do like the community colleges, because mm-hmm. that's what I did. I had no idea what I was going to do. I was in a punk band. Who would? I so I came down here and then started getting in with your friend. And then after two years, and here's the thing, when I transferred out,
0: mm-hmm. I pretty
1: much... You know, uh, spending that two years and, and growing up too, even though I was with my family and stuff, but still you're more, you have the awareness. But then you'd see all your friends come back as freshmen that were at, you know, maybe Florida State, Florida, part, you know, getting involved in that other scene. And then when I went out to California, I remember, you know, as, um, I went as a junior. So then seeing the freshmen come in and going, you're not going to make it. You know, there's, there's, there's something there. There's something there. All right, let's and by, end. And then and the thing is, usually you're all taking your first two years the same, same classes anyway, right, general requirements. Right. There, there's, that's what we should do.
0: Let's end with uh, some positive stuff here. Yes. Shift back to comedy.
1: Uh, where could readers of the Bradenton Times see Mike Rivera coming up? me and Fort Myers this weekend. You know, got shows Fridays. Laughin's Saturday. a great Laughin, club, especially great club. since they've redone that. And uh, hopefully McCurdy's is going to be opening up very, very soon. Hopefully. They had an
0: outdoor bazaar show this weekend. Uh, an outdoor, not bizarre, but an outdoor bazaar. Um, and I'm fingers crossed that McCurdy's is going to be back. So yeah, they should be
1: open up. I just get vaccinated, and I think that that's coming around the corner. So, uh, and usually I'll hopefully be there in the summer. So, but it's, right. it's good. And like I said, we got a... You got any headlining sets coming up with coconuts? Um, uh, In June, in June. I got some, some, a bunch of one-nighters all over. For yeah. any
0: Bradenton residents who've never been up to St. Pete Beach for coconuts, what a beautiful little intimate 75, 80 seat club where uh, it's, it's actually like uh, the exact same size as the original improv. And you can see great comics uh mike rivera danny bevins all kinds of uh national headliners in a little teeny tiny reach out and touch them type environment that's just not very
1: common you got to
0: grind it you do yeah. and uh where can they go do you have a website set up to uh, see your dates?
1: Com- comic dates? rivera.com
0: comic mike rivera.com mike thanks again for coming down and making the trip and uh wish you the best buddy
1: thank you so much anytime <laughs>